This is Faster, a podcast by Flow Cycling. In each episode, we interview industry experts to educate you, challenge you, and even change the way you train so you become faster. When we're not creating this podcast, we're working on other ways to make you faster. At Flow, we design and manufacture some of the world's fastest cycling wheels that we sell consumer direct to keep more money in your pockets. As a special thank you for listening to Faster, we wanted to offer you 20% off your next purchase. Simply use coupon code PODCAST in all capital letters at checkout. Your purchase will also support our Give Back initiatives. 1% of all sales supports our Bike for a Kid program, where we provide bikes and helmets for kids in need. We also plant one tree for every wheel we ship as a thank you to our planet. Enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to Faster. This is the final episode of our mini-series, and this is going to talk uh, about customer questions. I'm actually very impressed. This was some really good questions. Um, I've kind of consolidated them all together, and uh, they're going to be in a couple chunks. So the first chunk is going to be stuff on rolling resistance slash vibration-ish stuff. We have some aerodynamic questions, and then, uh, yeah, let's kind of basically it. You guys, again, ask some really great questions and I'm excited to get into them. So uh, let's get started. So the first question um, is around rolling resistance and they are referencing a bunch of other sources and then sort of asking me a question. Um, The first is uh, bicycle rolling resistance, which if you don't know who that is, they're a website that does a ton of studies on uh, tires and rolling resistance. Uh, they've done a comparison on Continental GP uh, 5000s, and they're showing that the wider the tire is, if you use the same pressure, it's faster. And then they talk about adjusting for comfort, which means that uh, you're basically changing the tire pressure lower. Um, the rolling resistance is equal. So just a bit of background on that and kind of what that means. If you look at a tire... Um, and let's say it's a, t- a 25 millimeter tire and let's say you inflate it to hundred PSI. The tire itself is going to have, um, a certain casing tension. Now what the casing tension is, is if you think about the inside of the tire, so like the inside surface, if you were to put a strain gauge in there and you were to inflate it to hundred PSI, um, the strain in that tire, so how much the tire stretches sort of in all directions is going to give you a specific value. This is a study that we did actually with Union University. So, um, we've actually seen that this works and and approved it. Um, if you take the same tire, but a different size, so let's go from the 25 up to the 28 and you put the strain gauge on there and then you pump it up to 20, uh, sorry, hundred PSI again, the strain, the casing tension is higher um, in the larger tire size. So if you've ever seen like a fat bike, some fat bikes, like you can see on the sidewall of tires, says like two or three PSI. Um, it's very, very low, a low PSI, but because the tire is so large, um, if you were to inflate it up to 100 PSI, you're, it would be so, there'd be so much pressure and so much casing tension, it wouldn't work. So if you look at a tire and you graph the casing tension um, from different tire sizes and you compare the tire pressure that will give you the same casing tension across the board. The larger the tire for the same casing tension, 
the lower the pressure. So as the tire size goes up, the tire pressure goes down to maintain, maintain that same casing tension. So that's sort of one of the things, it's kind of what bicycle rolling resistance is talking about, I believe, is that they are lowering the tension in the tire, casing tension, by lowering the pressure to adjust for a different load. So that's that's one piece. The other piece is uh, Josh Portner, who's over at Silka, who's been on our podcast a few times, uh, posted something out on Slow Twitch that was discussing 23 and 25 millimeter tires can have the same static spring rate, but due to different angles, the larger tire will have a lower spring rate. So what that means is if you think of uh, like a, a baseball and then you think of a beach ball, the angle or the rate of curvature of the baseball is greater than the beach ball. So the further you get away from the, the contact patch, basically where the ball touches the ground, that angle or that spring, um, it, it changes faster on the baseball than it does on the um, beach ball. So the same thing because you have a 23 millimeter tire smaller, the angle changes faster, and the 25 millimeter tire, it changes slower. So that's what he's talking about there. He's talking about spring rate and, and different angles. He's also, the question then continues on to ask about um, what is our theory based on? So we have claimed that rolling resistance is better for larger tires, and we've used that in sort of our overall net watt reduction uh, calculation. Now, net watt reduction calculation includes aerodynamics and rolling resistance. And what we learned um, back in 2016 was that there is a combination of both rolling resistance and aerodynamics to make a, a fast wheel. So we originally just sort of looked at aerodynamics, and then we did a study with Tom Anholt and realized that even though a 23-millimeter tire in the wind tunnel at the time a GP4000 was faster than a 25-millimeter tire, when you added in the rolling resistance watts, the 25-millimeter tire uh, actually became faster. So what is our theory and what does our data say and, and what is that all based on? That's really the question. So I gave you all that background because that's part of the question. But what is our theory based on? So let me talk about that. We look at rolling resistance. Um, kind of we, we kind of started with a very limited understanding of what it was and then we started to add in all the different pieces to get a better understanding. Ultimately though, what matters is what does a cyclist experience when they're on the road? So something to point out about lab testing is that lab testing with rolling resistance is can be good depending on how the setup um, is configured. If you just take a wheel and you roll it on a steel drum, the wheel moving on the steel drum itself has no sort of oscillating load. The oscillating load meaning you as the cyclist. So when you pedal, every time you push down on the pedals, there's sort of a pendulum effect where your your weight is going into the ground and then up. So there's sort of this bouncing effect. That does have an effect on rolling resistance. It has an effect on the the contact patch shape. Um, just a, a quick reminder of contact patch if somebody doesn't know what that means. I'm going to say that a lot in this episode probably. So the contact patch is basically where the tire meets the surface of the road. So 
where it does meet the surface of the road, there's a deformation, so it flattens. And whatever the shape of that is, that's called a contact patch. So when the bike is oscillating up and down because of the weight of the rider going up and down, sort of this bouncing effect, that contact patch changes. There's a whole lot of things that happen. Um, so some testing rigs don't include masses. Actually, most don't. So there's that needs to be taken into consideration. The surface... Um, a lot of testing rigs are, are uh, smooth steel rollers, which all the rolling tests, roller testing that we've done has shown that um, you do get a very different uh, vibration and frequency response. So we've done a lot of testing recently with vibration in cycling. So we, we're looking at the amount of vibration that a, a wheel uh, uh, encounters, uh, both on rollers, both both on road, and we're we're seeing a lot of different things. When you look at the vibration response. And if you want to see this, you can go out to our our, um, our website and our blog because all this data, we've, we've put it all up and graphed it and plotted it. But the vibration responses uh, from a noise perspective and from the frequencies that you see on the rollers are a lot less um, noisy than you would see uh, on the road data. So it's, it's, it's very interesting to look at. So you got to consider that some rollers they'll put like a diamond plate on there to kind of give some bumps. Um, again, that is very, um, repetitive. So it's not again, really the best example of, of pavement pavement is very variable. Um, and there's a lot of changes. So again, while all those things can give us a pretty good indication, what you don't generally see is you would not see an impedance breakpoint. Uh, if you don't know what an impedance breakpoint is, I recommend you check out the rolling resistance episode I just did uh, a few back on, in this mini series. But generally, you just keep getting better and better rolling resistance the higher and higher your pressure. We know that doesn't happen on the road, right? So, again, um, not that anything that bicycle rolling resistance is doing is bad. I think they've they've provided a ton of benefit to this industry, so it's not a knock on them. But I just think that anytime you look at anything testing from an aerodynamic perspective, from a rolling resistance perspective. You have to take in all the considerations. And again, for us, what ultimately matters is when you're on the road. If you're racing, if you're riding, whatever that is, those are the things that, uh, that is the environment that really matters. So our theory is really based on all of the research that we did um, riding on road um, with the Aerolab sensor and the protocol that we developed to measure rolling resistance um, with different internal rim widths, with different tire pressures, uh, with different tire widths and graphing and collecting as much data as humanly possible. So once we got a, a really solid understanding of, of what the trends um, were happening, we then take that data to sort of be our theory. That's that's our, our proof, right? So we sometimes a lot of people look at things from a theoretical perspective, but again, what we like to do is we like to prove things on road um, to make sure that it's patternistic and that it is something that will ultimately make you faster. So our claim that tires, wider tires are faster is because we've shown it repeatedly on road um, with the data that we collect with our sensors. Very long winded way to answer that question, but I hope that uh, that makes some sense. Um, another question comes in from regarding impedance and suspension losses. So this is an interesting question when I read it. I thought I had to think about it for a second, and I think that I have a, a pretty good answer, so hopefully I do. The 
question is, if you are riding with the same rolling resistance, can your output watts be different? So could you work harder in one case than the other? And so the example that was given in the question was that uh, one of our listeners is from Belgium, and they noticed that they had done a ride uh, through some cobbles and then through a rough concrete gutter. And they're saying that they noticed that there wasn't a dramatic increase in rolling resistance. Not that, um, I'm not saying that they're wrong, but to, to know that your rolling resistance is higher or lower would be very, very difficult to do without really extreme um, measuring, measuring equipment, so measurement devices. So um, sometimes what we feel on the bike is very different than what the bike or what is actually happening from a, a measurement perspective. So n- not a knock on what you're doing. I think what your, your analytical thinking is awesome. Just I'm going to talk through some of the things that we experienced because I, what I know, especially with vibration and all the vibration work that we've done, when you have more vibration, you feel like you're going faster, but in theory or in, in reality, you're actually going slower. So the, the increased vibration produces a, a signal in the brain that tells you that you're going faster when in, when in theory you're not. It's, it's one of the huge reasons why when you are looking at um, getting an athlete to lower their, their tire pressure, when they go out on their first ride, they come back and say, everything just felt slower. And the reason is, is because it's a smoother ride when you lower that pressure. A lot of people, you know, the 120 PSI rule was like everyone was at 120. Now we're getting people down into the 70s in certain situations or even lower depending on tire size. And it feels slower but if you measure it it's actually faster so you know those are important things to take into consideration so i just wanted to say that uh, regarding um what they were saying about the cobbles but again this was a really good question because it goes back to some of the things that i was talking about on the first question so if you think of rolling resistance as a it's just a, a a topic. I mean, what what is rolling resistance? Ultimately, it is a consumption of energy, a consumption of watts. So, if you think of what energy is, what watts are, and what you're doing when you when you ride a bike from a rolling resistance perspective, is you're trying to overcome the um, deformation and then reforming of the tire, um, which is is something that that consumes energy. There's heat, there's sound, there's a bunch of things that you're you're overcoming. One of the complexities that we've talked about is that once you hit the impedance breakpoint, your energy that is moving you forward starts to move you up and down, right? So because the impedance is making the you sort of bounce over the small bumps in the road, your energy transfer goes up and down um, as opposed to all forward in one direction. So let's think about this for a minute. If you have a tire that has a higher rolling resistance than a tire that has a lower rolling resistance, but the rolling resistance number is the same, then you have to ask yourself one of two questions. Or two questions. Number one, are both tires below the impedance breakpoint? And if they are, then really you're not bouncing so your energy 
in both situations would be the same. But the second question is, is if, if they are, one is above the uh, impedance breakpoint and one is below, you have to think about the direction of energy that is creating the rolling resistance. So this is why it matters, like I was talking about lab testing versus on-road testing. In a lab situation, we're just looking at, there's really no up and down of the, of the body. So if you have a lower or a poorer performer from a rolling resistance perspective, but you're lo- below that tire's impedance breakpoint, you're not inciting uh, up and down vibration into the system, the system being the bike, you, the rider, and everything else like that. If your tire that has a better rolling resistance has that value, but it's above its impedance breakpoint, what we know is we've started to add up and down motion into the system. So while the energy that is needed to overcome that is the same, what happens when energy goes into the body from a bouncing perspective is there's a lot of friction in the muscles, there's heat that is generated, and you start to tire out. I'm going to talk about this more in a minute because this is something that is is a the follow-up question to this. But in theory, you're not necessarily putting out more watts, but what your body is having to do is over, is is absorb the vibration. And the process of absorbing that vibration means that you are burning heat and you're you're tiring the body, you're fatiguing the body. So, uh, very good question. And while again, you, because power energy is energy, you know what we're what we're doing to get. If we have the same rolling resistance number, the, the energy that's being consumed is the same. But you have to think about from a system perspective, what is happening to the person that is putting the energy out. So there was another uh, follow-up to that, which was which was more about this vibration concept. Um, so there's. He said that he's seen in the gym uh, these vibration plates that claim that they give your body a workout um, and that the idea behind some of these um, machines is that, you know, there's there's a vibration that happens in the body. And I think that it's kind of important to talk about that. Just because you vibrate a muscle doesn't necessarily mean you put it through contractions. It can tire it, but is it is it working at the same? Uh, it really depends on what's happening with the muscle. Uh, but my general theory is that, no, it's not the same thing. But again, it is important to talk about what happens and why it's important to make sure that you're below that impedance breakpoint. So again, what I've said a little bit earlier is that we are doing a lot of studying and understanding what is happening to a cyclist and to a wheel from a vibration perspective, uh, we have some studies coming up that we're putting sensors on riders and different parts of the bike to understand what happens at different pressures. Um, I'll probably come back on and talk about that because I think it's going to be cool. And I might actually bring on uh, some of the guys from UNLV that we've been working with. But again, one of the things that is very important to understand is that you do want to limit that. You want your body to be as smooth um, as possible. And you want to, as much as possible, make sure that that vibration doesn't enter the system in any way. Interestingly, the next question um, really kind of just follows up with this. So uh, a customer wrote in and said, hey, I wanted to talk about the idea of 
adding a sort of an elastomer in the seat of a bicycle that would sort of absorb the vibration. Um, number one, if that were the case, depending on the elastomer and whatever the frequency was, so natural frequencies could happen, so you could have like a, a crazy effect. But in general, if there's a way for you to absorb the energy before it gets to your body, um, you could, in theory, uh, eliminate some of the fatigue that goes on in the body. But I also think it's really important to understand that there's five contact points with you in the bike. There's the seat, saddle, your left foot, your right foot, your right hand, and your left hand. So, again, you know, even if you think of a full suspension bike, uh, you are limiting the amount of vibration that goes into the body, but the system, again, including the bike as a whole, is having to absorb that in, in some sort of suspension system. So the ab absorbing that energy is, is an energy loss. Yes, it makes it smoother. So ultimately, the best way to reduce the road vibration from an overinflated tire is to lower your tire pressure, right? So you're not adding the up and down motion in the first place. The best thing that you can do is to eliminate the up and down motion, which is best accomplished through proper um, tire pressure management. So if you can eliminate it in the first place, then you don't have to absorb it. You don't have to waste the energy. You don't have to add the weight to the bike. There's a number of different things that really matter. Um, and like I say, you just want to go right back to the system. And if you think of the system as a whole, the best thing to do is to, is to eliminate it um, entirely. Okay, let's move on to a few aerodynamic questions. The first question was one that, again, is some things that people have, uh, somebody had read online about slick tires versus tires with some sort of pattern in them and how do they perform aerodynamically. Uh, the listener said uh, Swiss Side, or friends over at Swiss Side, had discussed how slick tires, such as a Veloflex record or a Vittoria uh, course of speed, ruin the aerodynamics of, of the wheels. And so they recommend something like a Conti or Schwabble. And then Aero Coach, on the other hand, says you lose a bit of aero but gain in rolling resistance. So in the end, the slick can be the fastest option. Well, we'd have to side with uh, Swiss Side on this one for sure. Um, every tire that I've put in the wind tunnel over the years that is a slick uh, is sort of a pig uh, aerodynamically. I've never seen one be fast. There's... A lot of theories on that. Um, there's a lot of theories on how that works. We've had conversations with, with tire manufacturers about exactly, you know, at a molecular level, what's happening at the tires as they spin. But all the testing that we've done is that a pattern in the tire um, helps it. So, yeah, we definitely agree with that. And, you know, if you if you think about... Um, what Eric Coach said about, you know, the rolling resistance gains. We've added all these up, so aerodynamics and rolling resistance. And if you look at the Vittoria course of speed, that has like extremely low rolling resistance. But aerodynamically, it's so poor that it doesn't matter. It doesn't make it up. So when you look at something like the Continental GP5000, it doesn't have as, the, a, as good of a rolling resistance number as the... Um, is the Vittoria, but 
its aerodynamics is so much better that it's a, a faster tire overall as a system. Again, you know, I, I did talk about tires in another episode, but I think it, it makes it important if you if you haven't heard that episode. So my general rule of thumb with tires is that tires are a three-legged stool. And so you got the three legs are aerodynamics, rolling resistance, and durability. So when we look for a really good tire, and this is why we re- recommend the Continental uh, GP5000, and before that we recommended the Continental GP4000. We've done that for about a decade. Um, great rolling resistance, great aerodynamics, and great durability. If you take any one of those legs away, you start to suffer. Take the aerodynamics away, well, that's just a no-brainer, right? You're just you're just slower. Take the rolling resistance away, again, same issue. And then if you take the durability away, what happens is you're in a race situation, you get flats easier, you get punctures easier, you're stopping, you're getting off the bike as opposed to riding. So um, those are the three-legged stool. That's my uh, rule of thumb from tires. So just make sure you're considering those. And like I say, we try to do all the work, like why we pick the GP5000. So if you take those, you're, you're really giving yourself a, a huge advantage. Um, next question was, you know, we, we do get a lot of questions about, you know, what is the fastest setup for me? And I talked about that from a, from a wheel perspective. And I talked a little bit about it from a tire perspective. And I'm going to give one example here. And this is actually somebody talking about other wheels, not even ours. So that that's totally fine. Um, we, we always love answering questions. Like I've said in other episodes, if you guys ever have questions, you can email me directly, john at flowcycling.com. I, I love answering these things. Um, I just love trying to give back to the community in any way that I can, uh, the things I've learned over the years and to educate. And to be honest with you, I, I learn a lot uh, talking to other people at times. So it's just great to share. So if you guys want to email me or contact me, my number's on the site, you can get my cell or you can just uh, reach out and uh, by email and we'll get there. So let's let's look at this, this setup. So somebody has a Generation 1 Swiss side uh, Hadron and they have a VeloFlex record. 23 millimeter on the front and a Vittoria Corsa 25 millimeter on the rear with latex tubes. And the question was, do I think it's possible to have a faster setup? Um, yes, I do. So, you know, this kind of covers something that I would talk about and it kind of covers all aspects. So number one, nothing against the suicide Hadron generation ones, but there's been a lot of things that we've learned since those have come out, just like when our wheels from that time were out, um, wider, faster, wider internal rim widths, like our new, uh, all sport line, um, all have 21 millimeter internal rim widths, which makes it much faster from a rolling resistance perspective. Uh, the aerodynamics have matched around much wider tires and that combination of width and depth is really something that's fast. We're going to talk about that. That was another question. So we'll talk about the width and depth, com- width and depth combo. Um, again, there, there's this theory that People think that if you put a slick or smaller profile tire on the front, you know, that's the first thing that sees the air. And so that's a better idea. And then you can get something wider in the back for comfort. Again, that's just not true. You know, the, the, the combination of rolling resistance and aerodynamics doesn't change for front or rear, really. You know, when we test something, if we, we look at, wheels in the wind tunnel as if they're seeing, you know, the air. So it's, it's kind of like the maximum aerodynamic uh, test. And so when we look at that, you know, we would, if you think if it's the maximum aerodynamic test, you would, you would almost have a weighting factor on the aerodynamics that would be higher. 
And so, yes, rolling from an aerodynamics perspective, the smaller tires are faster. But even when you, when you add in the rolling resistance, the whole system is faster. So there's no point to put on a 23-millimeter tire because your rolling resistance doesn't care where it is from a, from a wind perspective, front or rear. All it knows is that it experiences that amount of rolling resistance. So our rule is to go um, same tire size, front and rear. And again, wider is larger. And again, wheels. So if you were to pick like our um, our brand new uh, All Sport line, which is let's say a sixty four on the front and a uh, seventy seven on the rear, and you were to put twenty eight millimeter Continental GP five thousands on that, if I'm going to make the assumption that this first generation Hadron is a you know like our old Flow sixty, then you would save about two to three watts um just by changing the wheels and tires so yes you can be faster if you were to change that setup again most setups that you have depending on um what you're riding if you look at any of the wheel companies that are out there most of them have recommendations today that will um give you something fast we we publish a lot of our data a lot of people don't but um that's why I say if you have questions about it or what's the best way to optimize, you can listen to this podcast. Our blog has a ton of information. And again, you can contact me directly. The next question was one that I thought was really interesting. And it was about, um, we're starting to move into aerodynamics. And the question was, what happens with the aerodynamic drag value at zero degrees yaw? So let's, again, just a quick refresher on yaw. Yaw is the angle that the wind hits you. So if it's hitting you directly in the face, it's a zero degree yaw. If it's hitting you like directly in your right ear, that would be a 90 degree. So it's 90 degrees from the your, your nose. Um, if it was your left ear, it would be like minus 90. So zero is kind of when the wheel itself is just going straight through the air with no um, no no angle uh, on that wind. So the question was around what happens to the drag value at zero degrees yaw when a rim gets deeper, which is a good question. You know, deeper generally is what people see as faster. And if you look at the yaw versus drag graphs that we've had on our website, there are, most of your benefits happen when the wheel itself is at an angle. So if you go back to the aerodynamics uh, episode that we did, I talk about how aerodynamics and cycling works and side force and balancing, it's like lift. So, but at, at zero, there's really no side force, right? Cause it's, it's directly on. So I took these values from um, one of our wind tunnel studies and it's, it's based on Watts. And it is a comparing the Flow 49 AS, 64 AS and 77 AS with a 25 millimeter Continental GP 5000 and a 28 millimeter Continental GP 5000 and the watt values for each one at zero degrees of yaw. So I'm just going to read them off. So we're going to go, we're going to start with 49, 64, 77, but we'll start with a 25 millimeter tire. So the 49 is 7.552, 64 is 7.2 and the 77 is 7.594. So the 64 is faster by like 0.3 watts. If you look at the 28 millimeter tire, it goes 7.615 for the 49 
7.298 for the 64 and 7.221 for the 77. So that one, the 77 is the fastest, uh, the 64 being second and the 49 being third. So if you were to think about it, you know, you would think, hey, deeper's faster. That makes sense. But when you look at the 25 millimeter tire, the slowest one is actually the 77. So let's talk about that for a little bit. Um, again, anything that you look at from a wind tunnel perspective, you will sort of come out scratching your head at times. Um, but at zero degrees yaw, it's sort of like a, a zone where it's kind of like a no man's land a little bit because what you're looking for when you design a wheel is you're looking for to optimize the side force. But when we don't have it, we're kind of just looking at like a tire profile and how that goes into the rim. What I really see with these numbers, because they're so close and because, you know, manufacturing, even when you pull from a mold, is slightly different. To me, these are all generally the same, right? So we're within 0 0.3, 0 0.4 watts. Um, to me, that, that says that really what happens is it's, it's pretty similar. So that whole area around zero degrees yaw is sort of something that you're going to have a, a, a standard value and it will move a little bit, but really you don't spend any time there. So it's not really something that you need to worry about. Um, it's what happens when the yaw angle starts to increase, which we know, you know, 80% of your time is spent between zero and um, zero and 10 degrees. So again, most of that chunk there, that's where we really design the wheel to be optimized in that area. And if done right, then those numbers change drastically. So the 49 becomes as low as the 64 becomes second fastest and the 77 becomes fastest. Okay. Um, the next question was around spokes. So do spokes like the Sapham CX rays, which we use on all of our wheels, except the disc because the disc, you know, it doesn't, those spokes don't see the, the wind. They're covered by the disc. Do, do they really matter? And in 2015, we did a study with the Flow 30. Um, we built one with like Sapham CX ray lasers, so just a round spoke. And then we have one with our Sapham CX rays. And over an Ironman, the performance is, difference is 42 seconds. So it matters. Uh, not by a ton, but, you know, some races of, been won by a lot less than 42 seconds so if you consider that over two wheels um or over the course of a race it does matter so definitely that's why we build them and again the other reason we build them is just because they're so they're such a great spoke they're very durable and they're very strong we can build a few of them so it's a, it's a huge benefit another question was about what effects does a bike having wheel performance and specifically the fork and its width shape and around the wheel width. Well, that's a ton. So like I've always talked about when it comes to aerodynamics, the number of variables that you can look at are endless. You can, you know, you think of a, a sticker placement on a frame that has a slightly raised surface that's put on by hand. That's in one place, slightly different location, um, with one application than another. Does it affect aerodynamics? It does. How much? Sometimes something like that would absolutely surprise you. Um, 
there are just so many things that you have to think about from a from a variable perspective that it's 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 just unbelievable. When you think of bike frames, something like a size, small, medium, large, 52, 54, 56, 58, they all have different uh, dimensions. That all, that all has a consideration. Um, the internal rim width, or sorry, the inter- like the fork width on the inside, again, um, matters. The, the, one of the best things that f- from a wheel design perspective is that a lot of companies have started to really widen that area out, which gives us so much room to do things with that we've wanted to do for years that we couldn't do because, well, we didn't have enough room. So when you think of it from a fit perspective, generally what happens is that you're never really limited to tire size when on a on a wheel because you know, like a a wheel can take you can put a mountain bike tire on a our road wheels it's not, it's not a size from an a, a, a an issue from a tire being too big um, it's really a tire being too small from a safety perspective but the limiting factor has always been the frame so. The best thing that can happen is you can from a from a bike company if you're making bikes just leave a ton of room in there like the new gravel bikes are like awesome to, to work with you know they, they give us so much room to do things with and uh, we can really widen things out and make things faster but yeah that there's a there's a ton of performance stuff that happens around there um, but to really know exactly you really need to test you really need to go into a wind tunnel and take a look again your rider uh, Riding position, the you know the your leg shape, the clothing that you're wearing, the shoes that you're wearing, the everything matters. But uh, yeah, it does it does have a, a big effect. The other thing you think about with with wheels too is that you think about how air moves around a wheel, and if you think of it, it's kind of a funny thing when you first think about it, but at any given time the speed of the wheel at along the, along the wheel so i'm going to take three points i'm going to take the ground i'm going to take the hub and i'm going to take the top of the wheel that's basically passing through the the fork so directly opposite the the ground the ground that part of the wheel is actually going 0 miles per hour it's not moving it's stuck it's fixed so the only effect that it has from an aerodynamic perspective is how the air is moving around it. The middle of the wheel at the hub is going whatever speed you're going. So if you're going 10 miles an hour down the road, the hub's going 10 miles an hour down the road. And then the relative velocity, which we talked about in the aerodynamics episode, is is affects that however that is, is affected. And then the top of the wheel is going twice your speed. So that's kind of a funny thing to think about. But the, the other thing is, is that it's moving in the opposite direction of so it's coming through the fork right so it's it's moving with you it's moving forward but it's also coming through the fork which is stationary so if you think about that it's like as it moves to the fork there's a whole number of things that happen in there so one of the reasons uh, more space in there is, is beneficial is because it allows for more air and more freedom for things to move around in there. All right, final question, which is a good one, and it's something that we've talked a lot about but we've never really sort of discussed. It's the combination of width versus depth. So traditionally, 
people thought that the deeper a wheel was, the faster it was. And when you think about designing a wheel back in the day when profiles didn't really matter, basically you were just making a straight line from the rim where the tire connects down to the spokes. So if you cut it and sectioned it, it looked like a big triangle. Back then, you know, the deeper it was, the faster it was. They were horrible to ride, super, super unstable in wind. Um, and so, yeah, but deeper was faster. But today, um, we've talked a lot about the idea of it being a combination of width and depth. So I'm going to look at an example here. And this is directly from our website. If you want to check it out, you can go to any one of our, on any one of our wheel pages. If you scroll down just a little bit, it talks about wheels that make you faster. And there's a section in there that talks that there's a total power section. And right now I'm going to take a look at the time savings um, section. So what's interesting is the, the new gravel wheels that we manufactured. Um, and I'm going to look specifically at the G700. The G700 allows for a 32 millimeter Continental GP5000 tire, which is a road tire can be used on gravel, but it, uh, you can also use these on the road, which is a, which, I mean, they're just awesome. I've, I've ridden them on the road and it's kind of actually my, the wheel that I, I have a gravel bike. And so the, it's the wheel that I use on the road, even though it's a gravel wheel and I'll, you'll soon understand why. So when you look at the amount of time that's saved, oh, let's just look at a 40 K. It's got, it saves you one minute and, and one second. Um, actually, that's not the best example. Let's look at total power. That's the Riddler. And then here we want to look at the tire comparison table. Here's exactly what we're looking for. So let's look at this Continental GP5000. So it is a... Total from like a system perspective, the amount of watts that it, it consumes with 32 millimeter tire is 20.97 watts. So this wheel is like 54 millimeters deep. So not super deep, but you know, you know, deep enough. The other wheel uh, from that we make from a, a road perspective is our 77 AS. So it's like 76.7 millimeters deep. And you would think because it's deeper, it would be faster. But if I look at the Continental GP5000 in a 20, um, a 32 millimeter depth or width, the um, watts that are required for that are 21.88 watts. So it's almost one watt faster on the gravel wheels, which are about 22 millimeters shallower. So why is that? So number one, the reason for that is that we are using a combination of width and depth. So you may be saying, well, you know, that's because the, the external rim width of the 77 is narrower, right? It's got like a 28 millimeter brake track. The G700 is around 33 millimeters. So you're saying, well, you're giving it a disaffair, an unfair advantage because you're oversizing the tire and that doesn't work. Well, the G700 was optimized around a 28 millimeter tire. And if I look at the 28 millimeter tire and I'm going to, you know, give it the benefit of the doubt 
the watts consumed by the 77 at 28 millimeters is 21.38 millimeters. So again, we're about 0.4 watts difference. So that just goes to show you that a wheel that is allowed to get wider, and this is all done in the optimization algorithms that we use, is giving us an advantage over just depth. So that's why I say from a bike design perspective, the best thing you can do for a wheel company like us is to give us room to explore, to give us room to do things, because what you can do is you can make a wheel faster by combining width and depth. And that just goes to show that um, wider is and deeper is faster. So I really hope you guys enjoy this mini series. Uh, it's been a lot of fun to do. Um, I normally always have a guest on here, but it's just kind of been fun to talk through things and think through things and, and get your questions. I really appreciate everybody who did reach out. Um, if anyone has more, don't feel like you can't reach out. If I get enough, I'll, I'll do another one or I'll just answer you back directly. Um, I really appreciate you guys, you know, being a part of the, our, our podcast and listening. Um, each download we get is helpful. Each comment or review we get, we know we're very happy to have like a, it's like 4.8 stars, uh, which is something we're just thrilled about. I think we're close to half a million downloads at this point. And again, that's all because you guys are our faithful listeners and we really appreciate you. So anything we can do to help you, please let us know. Um, I'm going to be releasing some more podcasts soon with some guests. We got some exciting things coming up. So stay tuned. Uh, be kind to one another out there and ride safe. Thanks for listening to Faster. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it. Leave a review or teach a friend what you learned today. For more great episodes on getting faster, subscribe to this podcast. While you're on your next ride, be kind to one another and ride safe.